So you're listening to NYC Radio Live. I'm in conversation with the great guitarist Eric Thompson, a multi-instrumentalist, actually. Um, how's it going? How are you feeling? Oh, excellent, excellent. Got up um, and I've had my tea and I'm looking forward to coming east. That's right. Um, so I guess we can talk about that right out, off the jump. So you're, you're usually in... in um, in the Bay Area, correct? Yeah, I'm a Berkeley boy. Berkeley boy, and you're headed out to New York to do, uh, amongst other things, a house concert with Andy Statman, who, who connected that the two of right. us. That is right. That is exactly right. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. The impetus for all this was that uh, the great gentleman, John Cohen of the New Lost City Ramblers and the Friends of Old Time Music uh, passed away last year, and I felt I really had to come east for the memorials, and then I thought, well, hey, I'm going to be in staying in Brooklyn, and why don't I try and get to play some music, too? And uh, Andy and I uh, have gotten to play a little bit together, but we had a wonderful experience uh, I guess it's five years ago we were both at a mandolin symposium at uh, UC Santa Cruz that uh, David Guzman and Mike Marshall organized and uh, we played a set uh, where I played guitar and he played mandolin and it was uh, spontaneous and really great so looking forward to doing that again. Nice yeah and we'll we'll post all the details about that that show's going to be in Staten Island, I believe? No, no, no. It's oh. moved back to Brooklyn. Oh, great. Yes, it's, it's been a, a moving target, but uh, originally it was going to be in Brooklyn, and then it uh, migrated across to Staten Island, and then it's migrated back, which is actually better. <laughs> Yes, it, it certainly is. Um, so great. We'll we'll post all those the details, and um, yeah, we got a little bit of time. So let, let's let's start at the beginning. So you you were born out in the the. Yes, I, I'm a native Bay Area boy, and uh, I you know got into uh, playing the guitar and kind of old time music and bluegrass music. Uh, well, nearly sixty years ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, I always make the joke that I went from the Kingston Trio to the New Lost City Ramblers in about one week. And, <laughs> and then I was just got on the path that I've been on all along. I was very fortunate to have, uh, you know, slightly older mentors who turned me on to, uh, the music, but also all of the connections, uh, you know, meeting record collectors, trading tapes uh, of live bluegrass shows, and, uh, well, we traded tapes of, you know, ta tapes of tapes of 78s, you know. In those days, it was not like where you uh, go on YouTube and find everything. <laughs> it required a little more effort. And, uh, well, a little more history. I uh, was in Palo Alto as an adolescent, and uh, so I made friends uh, with uh, other people who were just starting to learn about this stuff, too, and that 
included uh, Jerry Garcia and David Nelson. We had a bluegrass band called the Black Mountain Boys. Uh, we were late 63, early 64. Uh, we played around and, uh, well, actually, now you can hear that band on the Garcia's, uh, the Garcia uh, Garcia Before the Dead, that's what it's called. The family's mm -hmm. put out this thing, and I had a tape of the Black Mountain Boys, and they included some of that material. Uh, and then uh, after doing that for a little while, I, I decided to go to New York. I was chasing my first girlfriend, <laughs> actually. And uh, so I went to New York. A friend of mine had opened uh, an instrument shop uh, in uh, Greenwich Village, you know, right on the hotbed of stuff, right next to the Folklore Center. And uh, so I had a place to go and hang. Now, naturally, the girl didn't want to have anything to do with me, but uh, but who was uh, hanging out at this music store but David Grisman. So we hit it off right away, and uh, we actually had a little band called the New York Ramblers. And uh, we played it... Gertie's Folk City, you know, just in the hoots and stuff. But we also went down to Union Grove, North Carolina. Uh, I guess it was March of that year. And uh, amazingly enough, won the bluegrass band <laughs> competition. So that was quite an honor. Wow. So in the early scene, like out, out on the West Coast, was there an overlap between the, the, the people checking out folk music and the people, the beat poets, or is that not totally disparate scenes? Well, um, that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, my generation, uh, you know, Jack Kerouac's On the Road uh, really had quite a lot of influence on us. Uh, <laughs> uh but, uh, so, uh, I would say we were kind of, we were kind of bohemians, uh, in a way, but, uh, uh, you know, we were sort of hippies before there were hippies, but, uh, uh, but also, uh, in Palo Alto, uh, we were, we were right there, uh, kind of at the heart of the peace movement, uh, because, uh, there was a bookstore that we all hung out at uh, called Kepler's, and uh, one of the two partners who ran it uh, was Iris Sandpearl, who was Joan Baez's mentor, uh, you know, on the peace activism. So uh, I guess that's an overlap. It's not exactly an overlap with beatniks. Beatniks were more withdrawn. They They weren't really... I don't. They weren't really activists. They were. Um, uh, what do we say, misanthropes? <laughs> right. Uh, so that's interesting. But I guess some of the coffee shops. I mean, is that is that, that kind of those were the kind of gigs uh, you were playing out there? That kind of uh, house con house parties. You know, it thing? wasn't house parties. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, in the in those days, uh, you know, economics were different. And that meant that um, there could be storefront uh, coffee houses or venues uh, 
and you know the before you know needing to have a license or anything so particularly in Berkeley there was uh, a really amazing one called the Cabal and uh, you know they they put on uh, you know it was connected with the whole you know there was this circuit of of people connected across the country uh, who were interested in folk music and uh, and kind of activism and uh, so you know you have San Francisco Cambridge Greenwich Village Denver Ann Arbor Michigan you have these these people all connected uh, kind of flying over a whole bunch of the country that we weren't connected to. <laughs> right. So there was a connection there. That, what was, I mean, now that people, you know, now there's like universities that teach uh, roots music and stuff. Back then, uh, just by playing folk music, did that, did that mean you were subscribing to some kind of counterculture-ish ideology uh well you know uh, let's see i you know i've given that some thought especially because uh you know i've i'm you know gonna say something about john cohen at the memorial and i've really been thinking about the whole deal and you know folklore studies uh in the era i was growing up uh folklore uh, was focused. They focused on the text. They they were interested in the text, and as far as the style of the music and those things, uh, that was not considered uh, worthy in academia. So uh, people like John Cohen and Mike Seeger and several others uh, put their documentaries and recordings uh, together and released them on Folkways Records. And these came with voluminous uh, liner notes that were not actually liner notes on the back. It was a whole, you know, mimeographed, uh, you know, booklet that came in the separate pocket of the album. And so the way I feel about it is is that the actual... uh, way that this kind of academic, in a way, work, the, this writing about it and analy- uh, analysis uh, was coming out there rather than in universities. Uh, and so I feel like that generation, by what they they spurred uh, a, an awareness, uh, you know, now this stuff is in universities and academia, but it wasn't then, and I feel like that movement, uh, you know, <laughs> opened those doors. Right. And and what were you, what did you guys feel like you were, you know, it seems like through music you always discover kind of an alternate history. Um, like, what, what were you guys feeling and, and ladies feeling like you were discovering about America that might not have been uh, on the front page of Time magazine. Well, uh, I was, I was always kind of fascinated by older stuff. You know, I was the kind of nerdy kid when I was like eleven or something that would go to the library and uh, find the 
Sears Roebuck and Montgomery Ward catalogs from the turn of the other century and look at all that and absorb <laughs> that. And I was, for some reason, I was, I was kind of fascinated with uh, Southern culture because it was, it was like a foreign country uh, in a way, you know, it was less than a uh, hundred years after the Civil War and uh you know, it was still mysterious and different, and uh, the music uh, actually was a way to get into that, to understand it better. Uh, not to mention that the music itself was very exciting and appealing to us, but I, I think that other part of it, uh, you know, was important to me. And you're, you're also learning about, like, these... these folk characters, you know, these uh, uh, these various kind of archetypes and, and um, you know, uh, mythical mythical figures of the West, <laughs> or, you know, the right. bad man ballads. Yeah, the, right, Ben, well, and many, many of the bad man ballads were actually, uh, you know, contemporary writing. I mean, you know, John Hardy was a desperate little man. Well, John Hardy's murders, uh, you know, uh, happened uh, just, you know, around the same years, you know, the early part of the uh, 20th century that the songs were being written. Right, interesting. I mean, you know, it was contemporary context, you know, stuff, and... Uh, and uh, some of the some of the you know murders were uh, you know there was such volatile stuff around it that the songs were banned from being sung in certain towns. Oh yes, yeah, no, definitely, yeah, I've. Uh, I was real involved in, uh, you know, it's like I was, I was basically living in the house where uh, the warlocks that turned into the dead, uh, you know, were living or hanging out. So I, I you know, I have a lot of insights <laughs> into the whole thing. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, from what he says, I mean, it seems like before all the people showed up, there was a little bit of a uh, kind of a, a heightened consciousness year in there of, of really smart people who are trying to find a different way to go about uh, organizing their society or whatever. And then what happened? But maybe maybe you would even disagree with that. Um, well, uh, no, uh, if, if you're talking about... Uh, that little period, I mean, <clears throat> you know, I we have uh, younger friends, uh, you know, who say, you know, well, what was it like in the '60s, Eric? You know, uh, you know, and I try and try and explain to them that, well, you know, 1965 was really, really different than 1964. Really, really different. <laughs> And, uh, you know, because of a variety of things, but, you know, partly psychedelic drugs. 
That and I guess Garcia. No, it was De- uh, Hunter, Robert Hunter. Those came well, to him H- as H- early Hunter, as '62. Uh, Hunter had taken uh, LSD as part of the uh, experiments at uh, Stanford University that, that Ken Kesey also was involved with. So the, uh, but uh, we didn't, uh, our little gang didn't take LSD till May 1st, 1965. And uh, I can remember this because, uh, you know, our first trip was my first trip was also Jerry's first trip, Rick Shubb's first trip, David Nelson's first trip. So, uh, you know, so I sort of, I sort of saw it beginning. Right. I I guess, and I guess Jerry really stuck to it. (laughs) Um, So, um, okay, so, so it enters the scene and... Uh, at first, I mean, so it's it's a bunch of, I mean, at that time you guys were mostly playing folk and and blues influenced and early rock and roll type music. That that's that's uh, what you're playing. Yeah, when, well, uh, you know, uh, we were uh, we were focused on um, kind of the old-time country music, uh, like the New Lost City Ramblers had introduced us to, and uh, the bluegrass music, we kind of uh, worked on one, then worked on the other, immediately leading up to uh, the creation of the Warlocks was uh, Mother McCree's Uptown Jug Champions, which was kind of like uh, being inspired by Jim Queskin's band, uh, but we also... Uh, actually delved into the uh, to the old 1930s uh, jug band stuff like the Memphis mm-hmm. Jug Band and Gus Cannon and um, and then Pigpen uh, was very into uh, the blues. He was uh, you know really studied Lightning Hopkins and uh, Jimmy Reed and uh, and so. Uh, there was a little uh, electric band that like played Stanford frat parties and stuff. Uh, it was kind of led by a guitarist named Troy Weidenheimer, who could really just play like Freddie King. It was mm. really fabulous. And uh, Jerry played uh, bass sometimes in that band, the Zodiacs. And, uh, you know, the the idea to go electric was actually Pigpen's idea. He said, hey, man, hey man you know, we, we, why, don't we, why don't we have an electric band? <laughs> and, you know, so in the beginning, you know, Ron was the, like, the front guy, uh, you know, the singer and kind of the focus of a, of basically, you know, an electric blues band. Right. Well, and he was a little bit older, too? No, no, no. Uh, okay. no. Ron was my age. Okay. Uh, he just uh, he lived he hard. just he just got on the path really early. Uh, you know, Garcia is about four years older than we were. Maybe Ron was a year older than me. Uh, you know, when I was playing bluegrass then in '63, I was 17, and uh, so. Uh, but Ron, you know, Ron got into his uh, persona. Uh, pretty early, 
you know, uh, which unfortunately, you know, if you start drinking when you're 12, then, you know, it's, when you're 28, you might not be doing very well. Right. Living the blues. Yeah. Well, he, he just, he lived it, you know, he yeah. really lived it. It's, it's funny too, because, uh, you know, the way it came to him uh, was that his dad was the first uh, white DJ on the uh, black uh, music stations in the Bay Area. But Ron never mentioned that when when we were hanging out. I never knew that until later because he just adopted his persona and he lived his persona uh, 24-7. You know, he it wasn't like, oh, I'm putting on this character, but I'm really this guy. He just was that guy. Right. Uh, very honest, actually. It made it made his music very honest. And 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 in Phil's book, he he talks about the first time he met Garcia. He he was a little off put because he thought nobody. He he felt that everybody was kind of being deferential to this guy. And this was before you know the Grateful Dead were a thing. But he you know everybody was kind of deferential, and he thought nobody could be this cool. You know. Oh. Uh, well, uh, but in fact, uh, you know, uh, you know, I met, I met Jerry in, I guess, 61, you know, uh, and so that means uh, if I was 15, he was 19. At, at 19, uh, he looked like he was about 30. And and he had a, a very strong presence and a magnetic personality. I mean, you just wanted to hang out with Jerry because he was such good company, such uh, such uh, stimulating company. And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Phil and Jerry uh, met, I think, at uh, the progressive radio station KPFA. I guess it's there's a... Pacifica equivalent in the in the east, mm-hmm. and uh, you know at that time Phil was uh, studying uh, avant garde music at Mills, and uh, Mills College, and uh, you know but then there was a connection, and then uh, you know after a little bit of starting the Warlocks and having the guy who played uh, who was the son of them music store guy where, you know, they gave lessons and stuff. After, you know, having him play bass a little bit, they, you know, Jerry in particular, I think, said, I want something different. I just, we got to take it another place. We can't just, uh, you know, have that same old pattern bass and just be a, you know, competent but generic bar band. Uh, and so he asked Phil to um, play the bass, and uh, and Phil said, "Yeah, well, I, yeah, that sounds interesting." Now he'd never played the bass, and in fact, mm-hmm. I gave Phil his first bass lesson. Uh, he moved into the room across the hall from me, and uh, he came over and said, uh, "Eric, you know, how does this thing work? Show me." And I said, "Well, you know, it's." Uh, it's tuned like the bottom four strings of the guitar, you know, it's all tuned in force, and, uh, you know, you play a scale like this. And he said, 
just did it. And I said, oh, thank you very much. Went back to his room. That was all he needed to know because perfect, yeah, it was perfect pitch. And, you know, was really a trained musician and, you know, really, uh, you know, he just, he just took it another place. But, well, another funny story about Phil is like uh, a couple of years before that, when we were uh, hanging out, uh, you know, at the house where we all hung out and Phil was around, uh, he came in with his buddy and he had these, uh, this <clears throat> music that he thought we, you know, people should be trying to play. And basically it was uh, staff lines, music staff lines laid over a star map. Mm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, uh, and, and he wanted ahead. you guys to play it. He wanted you guys. Well, to he was, yeah, yeah kind yeah. of say, Hey, here's an idea. Here's what we're right. working on. And, you know, it's actually a pretty good idea. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, music of the spheres, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, um, uh, so, so you were living in this house. That's the the house at the corner of Haight Ashbury. No, no, this oh. this was before that. Okay, this is no, earlier. This was in this was in Palo Alto. Okay. You know they didn't they didn't get up there till uh, you know, to the band had been going a while. Like, well, I they were there by '66. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It, in in those days, uh, you know, uh, a month was like. A year. I mean, it's just like so much happened in, you know, in such a short period of time. I mean, it's partly that you're young and, you know, when we get older, it's like, yeah, that just happened to Eric. That was last year. But, uh, you know, in those days, it was like day to day was often another whole world. So were you at, you you attended any of the first, like the acid tests? I did indeed. Yes, I did. So, uh, what, what, what do people? Th- what do you think is people have wrong when they think imagine what these things were like, you know, or what, what's what's the misconception or? Uh, well, I I, that's a hard question. Okay, to maybe answer. that's the wrong question because you don't know. Yeah, what what what, what, like. what are the yeah what yeah? Are so the, I don't know what what what, sure. what, 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 what was concept- what was the scene? What yeah what what what, yeah, what was going on like? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess like Bill Graham was was there at the very first ones, or came uh, pretty I soon after. I don't think so. Okay, he came soon. I don't think so. I, uh, I that. Uh, All right. Well, how many people are showing up to the first first ones that you? Well, you I think the, God, the ones. Well, I, th- I think it kind of went from sixty people to a couple hundred people. I'm trying to. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there was one that was just in a recording studio, not very big. There was, uh, there was one, in early '66. I remember that I think it was uh, Longshoreman's Hall in San Francisco. So that was bigger. That was probably a thousand people. Uh, I can't. I. And, I have, and I what have was some... the scene? Yeah, let's say the longshoreman, like a big one. There was, you had. What was there always? Was how, how was there always music? Was there always? Well, no, what, it was, was no, it was just something that was happening or not happening. <laughs> I mean, in other words, it wasn't a, it wasn't a performance, right? You know, I mean the. Uh, 
you know, people were just uh, <laughs> tripping. I mean, they were just experiencing things, you know, and so, you know, they might play for a minute and say, oh, man, or they might play longer, or it wasn't, it wasn't uh, uh, an orchestrated thing in any way. <laughs> right. But I mean, felt- this, was, this was all new. Right. And I guess it, it felt generally safe. There weren't like there weren't that many people uh, crying in the corner, or. or, <laughs> or well, uh, um, you know, it's it's an emotional thing. It pushes everybody, uh, you know, in a lot of directions. I mean, uh, you know, one of the one of the um, things that was said in uh in uh the Mary you know, Ken Kesey's Mary Pranksters is, you know, never trust a prankster. Mm. You know, so it's I mean it's um uh how I don't quite know how to say all this, but it's uh not all benign and peace and love it was kind of uh it was kind of everything it was kind of everything everything all at once uh so um you know and actually you were asking about uh you know okay was it connected with the beatniks um uh well uh you know actually um you know, some of those characters uh, uh, did show up, <laughs> you know. Um, I'm, I'm blanking, right? This well, minute. I'm sure Ginsburg the, the, the was dean, on the, the scene. The, the, the Dean Moriarty figure. Uh, oh, yeah, Neil Cassidy. Neil Cassidy, yes. So Neil Cassidy was, you know, Neil Cassidy was around. Uh, and so, you know, this is, uh, you know, th- there's... There, there was an edge to all this too. It was, um, I mean, it made sense to me, but it was, uh, it, it was, there was an edge. Right. Does, do, does, do you look back? You know, uh, whatever it is, uh, almost forty years later or something. No, no, no. How about fifty-five? Okay. Fifty-four, right. fifty-five years, 55 years okay. later. Does your view on of, of of this has it evolved in any certain ways? Do you look back and, and and say, huh, like certain things I thought were really hip were were less, or the opposite, or or, or well, or, or, well, no, I don't, I don't feel like, uh, you know, I I do not feel like that. I feel like uh, I feel like it it. Those experiences uh, opened me up to, uh, you know, to who I am, and I don't, you know, regret them in any way. Uh, I mean, well, it's like, it's hard looking back to uh, fully remember how things were in the 50s and, uh, you know, why one wanted to, you know, get some other place right right that's a thing i guess this 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 was in such opposition to 
the the overall uh, kind of uh, agreed upon consciousness of the of of that earlier decade, right? I mean, this is like. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, in a lot of ways, too, you know, the 60s didn't really begin till the middle of the 60s. Right. It was, it's uh, almost like things went from black and white to color. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland kind of thing. Uh, um, well, kind of. Oh, oh, right, yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, anyway, okay, so... so they, the whole everything blows open, and you you stayed around in in the West Coast during that whole period, or went you hit the road at, at a certain time, like. Uh no, well I did I did a certain amount of going around, but mostly I was in the Bay Area, and uh, you know. Uh, let's see, how do I put this? You know, uh, you know my friendships from that era, you know. Uh, you know, especially with the guys in the dead, uh, those remained uh, there the whole time. I myself felt like uh, I didn't really, once there was a lot of energy on the dead, I didn't really like hanging out in that scene because there were so many other hangers, hangers right. on hanging out. And, uh, you know, I didn't feel like... Uh, I wanted to be one of those people. Uh, you know, the, the kind of the message I got from that experience and kind of, uh, you know, the message of not what Jerry spelled out, but what he projected was, the message was, make your own scene. And that, so that's what I did. I made my own scene, not with electric music, but with, uh, you know, the music the other music, the more traditional music, but, you know, we took that in a lot of directions. So, you know, I I basically, uh, not single-handedly, but built a whole scene of hippies who were, uh, you know, freaking freely and playing that music and, you know, moving to the country and... Uh, you know, having a whole uh, kind of world. I mean, it was so much easier to economically to live then. You could really uh, live on next to nothing, you know. A friend of mine had a saying, or maybe they even put it uh, in it a song, don't spend nothing but time. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I interviewed Zakir Hussein recently, and he was saying exactly the same thing that, you know, what a hamburger cost, or what it cost to go across the bridge, or 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 that a, how a door gig could kind of carry you for for a few weeks. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, you know, and uh, by the seventies, you know, I had a scene where we were living on a piece of property where we didn't have to pay rent, and we played uh, Renaissance fairs and. Uh, and, you know, several times, you know, for like six weeks at a time for, uh, you know, certain periods of the day. And then we, then we had enough money to just live, you know, and other little gigs and, you know, not like it is today. Now, that's a, that's that's something I had no idea about that I learned from uh, Dennis's books, 
that there was some kind of connection between the psychedelic scene and the Renaissance fair scene. Oh, well, of course, you know, I mean, uh, uh, definitely a connection because, in fact, uh, you know, Owsley's cohorts uh were uh were the guys who were uh had the uh one of the very first early music bands at the renaissance fairs the golden toad and uh in fact uh you know the golden toad guys were part of the you know that you know acoustic music scene communal living scene that i'm talking about that's that's those people you know uh that's that you know, it's it's like, uh, you know, that's what was ironic is that I, you know, was at the center of that scene kind of uh, when it was starting. And then I kind of uh, said, well, I'm going to go, uh, you know, make my own thing. But the the thing that I kind of got to and made was actually had a lot of the same people in it. Right. You know, so it's like uh, these connections. So, yes, there definitely was, uh, you know, the Golden Toad guys and Owsley were all, uh, you know, in it together. Right. And then I read that later you you also studied more deeply um, Irish music. Uh, Yeah, in the the 70s, uh, I got very into Irish music. That was... uh, that was kind of spurred because uh, a friend of ours in this little scene had spent a bunch of time in London, uh, and he'd fallen in, fallen in love with kind of the bar band kind of Irish music, uh, you know, more Irish in London than there are in the whole island, uh, you know, and uh, and it was like, uh, you know, kind of contemporary pub music of uh, of the 50s and uh, a couple of the real stars of that uh, music scene, not financial stars, but, you know, musical stars, uh, turned out to be in, in uh, San Francisco. You know, the kind of the, these guys would uh, go to London first, then they'd go to New York, then they'd go to Chicago, then they'd go to San Francisco. And it was, uh, well, I think partly that um, big cities in those days, you know, it was kind of like uh, the Irish kind of controlled, uh, had a lot of influence in city government. So if you were an if you were an Irish guy and you needed work, why you know the city contractors would <laughs> you'd have a right. job. And so anyway, uh, uh, two wonderful accordion players, Joe Cooley and Kevin Keegan, were both in San Francisco. And, I mean, they were spectacular. And so, you know, that drew you in. When you have kind of star players, then uh, you say, oh, I got to work on this. And so so I got very much into that for uh, a lot of the 70s. And did you find some interesting connections between the the Irish music and the uh, American folk music? Well, I mean, obviously, Scots Irish uh, music definitely fed into the uh, you know the fiddle tradition uh, of the South, definitely, and you know, and, uh, you know, a lot of the 
people who were in the South had those roots. So, uh, so it, it really, uh, it became, and a lot of the, you know, you could hear that, oh, okay, this Irish tune is where this, uh, you know, old-time uh, Appalachian tune, that one came from that Irish tune. And, mm. uh, and so, you know, it's a real uh, direct link. So it just, it just fit into kind of stuff uh, I was attracted to, especially, you know, I like the kind of spooky modal tunes and plenty of those in Irish music. And so, uh, you know, it just made sense. Right, you're also attracted to just kind of weird, uh, weird Americana, uh, like uh, odd time signature things, or, or, or like strange uh, subject matter, right? Is that or is that more? Oh your yeah, all that, yeah. and yeah. you know, it's kind of it's uh, you could say odd time signature, but uh, you know, uh, well, one of my jokes is that. Uh, Cajun music in particular, uh, uh, you know, I say, well, you know, the only bar lines in uh, Cajun music are when you're waiting to get a beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I never knew that about Cajun. I never really listened to it in that way. So that's interesting. Well, in other words, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, I mean... It's not uh, the way to think about it. Well, well, a lot of square dance music uh, and uh, like Irish music for sure. There, there's, uh, you know, it it fits into uh, a, you know, a certain length, you know, mm-hmm. thirty-two bar tune, uh, so that the dance works out. But a lot of uh, a lot of the older Appalachian music, uh, you know, the guys who just played on their own, well, they might you know, make one phrase longer and one shorter and, you know, they just, you know, they didn't lose the beat. It's all just one, 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 one. But, you know, it might not all fit in the same things. And Cajun music is definitely that. It's just like what I, like I say, one, one music. uh, And, uh, you know, the singer might sing it a certain length one time and then the fiddler might, you know, uh, space the phrases out slightly differently. The accordion player might do it different than that. The steel player might do it different than that. Uh, that's like not considered odd, you know, mm-hmm. because, well, because it's melody driven. And, and so you're not, you know, you're not, um, let's see, how, well, one way I put it is you're not blowing over the changes, you know, right. You know, yeah. the the melody is the uh, is the core of it, and uh, the timing may be open to interpretation. Right, and as a as a guitarist, you kind of um, you know achieved something with flat picking that a lot of other people weren't even daring to try in terms of facility and this kind of thing. What 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 do you think is the key to developing uh, like a uh, just in terms of a practice technique, like how how did you b- build up that 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 facility? Well, I th- I think uh, adolescent uh, obsession is really good. <laughs> oh, I missed <laughs> the boat on that one. Cool. Yeah, you know, it's like if uh, you know uh, all you're really doing is trying to play the guitar, you uh, know, all your waking hours, then uh, <laughs> you get better. Yep. Uh, at least, uh, I, that's, that's how, it, that's how it was for me. I mean, I just, yeah. uh, you know, when I got into it, then that's just, 
all I really did. And, uh, you know, so I got, I got better pretty fast, you know? Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, there's, uh, the, the, uh, you know, they put out this Grateful Dead box set. So, you know, I was listening to what I sounded like when I was 17. It's kind of like, oh my God, Eric, you've hardly gotten any better since then. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, as, it's just as far as my uh, ability to draw sound out of the guitar and, uh, you know, play fast, uh, you know, it was definitely there, and it just, uh, you know, I've learned a lot more music since then, you know. But sure. as far as my sort of, the most important part of my, you know, facility on the guitar, sort of my kind of sound that comes from my right hand, well, geez, I, you know, just obsessive playing for a few years got me there. Nice. Well, I'm just about out of time, but um, I was just curious, you know, when, when I did interview Dennis, he, he talked about uh, Garcia's wisdom as, as, as him being somebody he considered, like, wise, at least as applied to other people. And, um, you know, and he, I, I wondered if there was any, you know, anything musically or otherwise that Garcia said to you that you've that stuck in your memory banks oh i don't really uh no i i don't i don't really have a quote uh, <laughs> okay but, that's fine. Uh, i mean uh but i i will say that uh you know jerry had a very um a kind of uh present uh you know present uh attitude about life you know I mean it's like the moment was important and he was always looking at things different ways and uh, you know making connections that you might not have thought of uh, and uh, so yeah I think that that is wisdom uh, sure of some and I guess kind. that be... yeah it sounds like something you've you've emulated yourself uh yeah emulated or I don't I don't think emulated I just absorbed it you know uh I mean it's I never uh, I never you know sort of said oh I'm gonna be trying to be like that it right. just it just went into my uh you know way of living because uh, it seemed natural and uh you know and I mean I have to say that I was. Uh, like a weird kid. <laughs> I mean, I was always a weirdo. Uh, I re- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, luckily the times came around and it be- became cool to be a weirdo. Yeah, yeah, it's all now. Out for now, you. now, yeah, well, it worked out for me. Now it seems like it's getting to be uh, not such a good thing. <laughs> but uh, anyway, well, it's been delightful it. talking to you. Yeah. And, yeah. And so I guess I've kind of filled up our time here, but uh, spouting. Oh no! Off. I wish I wish I, I wish I had more time. Actually, it's I, that I have to run. Otherwise, I, I have a million more questions. But um, okay. Well, yeah, we could maybe. do it again sometime. That'd be fun. Yeah. Okay, man. Yeah. Okay. okay. Hope Great to see you soon. You. Great. Bye-bye. Yep. See you.